forgiveness. Last week I really focused on uh, how do we embrace forgiveness, and I really do believe this is a this is a problem in the church. I believe we struggle with forgiveness, being forgiven. I don't, I don't mean forgiving other people. I think we struggle with that too, but that's for a different time. I'm focusing on um, me being forgiven and me embracing being forgiven, that, that kind of uh, thought process. So I talked about that last week, and I want to go over this again this week and from a little bit different angle and uh, do a little bit more of the, the practical. Um, how does this work? It's not, just, it's not just I know I need to do this, but now... Kind of this next step is how do I do this? And so the, um, the, the title of this is a uh, for, or forgiven mindset or, or what I would consider a, a grace worldview, a forgiveness worldview. Now, this is an important thing. When you serve God, you actually serve God according to how you think about God, not who he is. Not, not that those are in conf- conflict necessarily, but sometimes it is. But you serve God in how you understand him. And you're going to understand a limited part of God. You're not going to understand the fullness of God. None of us do. Uh, you're, you're going to serve God. You're going to serve Jesus according to how you have in, in understood him and embraced him. The, the parts of scripture that you've let get into your mind and your spirit, you will serve Jesus according to that kind of thinking, according to how much of that have you embraced. And, and hopefully your desire is to always be understanding more growing more so that your understanding of God gets bigger, so that your relationship with God gets bigger. Now, as I talked about last week, I, I had um, developed a, this was years ago, but I had kind of developed a, a, uh, an idea or a paradigm of who I thought God was, and that's how I served God. Uh, and it was, it was built around how I understood forgiveness and how I understood, so, and, and, and my uh, paradigm was greatly flawed. It was, it was uh, greatly uh, built upon kind of a legalistic mentality um, some of uh, church influence that wasn't good. That, that, I mean, church influence is good if it's good. Some's not. And so I had built this idea of forgiveness and relationship with God and how he looked at me, how I looked at him, all that kind of stuff. And it was, it was very flawed, which hindered me understanding God the way that I su- was supposed to understand him and understanding forgiveness and some of these kind of things. Very, very strong. I, t- I talked about all this last week, but, but very strong... Um, forgiveness wasn't high on the list. It was more judgment and, and, and those kind of thinking. So that is how I served God. And it, would, and it really hindered a lot of things that God was trying to do in my life. And, and through his word, I'd read scripture, but I would, it was like my mind would just kind of close off to certain scripture because, well, this was my worldview. Now, here's what's interesting for all of us. We all have a worldview and we all have a way of looking at God. How you look at God will determine how you serve God. Now, I, d- I don't want to... Uh, move on before I make sure we understand this part. I'm not saying that how you see God is wrong or are limiting God totally. It's just some things about what we do. And then, and then the way I had done it, I'd actually built an idea of who God was that was hindering me. Sometimes it's the ways we see God are very biblical and very healthy and very accurate, and, it, and we serve God very strongly in those ways. But when it comes to forgiveness, my experience in working with the church for so many years, is forgiveness seems to be very elusive to human nature. And then it's also uh, very challenging for, and specifically, the, um, the demographic of people that grew up in the church. Forgiveness can be a very difficult thing to embrace. Different types of church. So, and, 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 and different types of church background leads you into different ways of understanding this. 
from going from Catholic to mainline to evangelical, Pentecostal, charismatic, all of those different groups are going to have different ways they see God, judgment, um, forgiveness, all this kind of stuff, and there's going to be some hindrances into how we see and understand uh, God and forgiveness because of that uh, background of that perception, okay? So what my goal with some of this is, is to try to break some of that up, break it down a little bit, and help us to process some of this. So let me ask this question. How, how big is God in your life right now? And we would all answer, and if we just went around the room, we would all give answers that are, you know, kind of churchy answers. We're supposed to do that when you're in church. And we give kind of churchy answers. But, but really, I'm saying for you to answer personally in, inside of your spirit, how big is God in my life right now? What has he said to me? Is, am I walking in that? Am I not walking in that? Have I been closer to God before? Have I seen God do bigger things in my life before? Or am I kind of in a, in a um, new place where God is doing bigger things? I mean, every one of us are different in how we would look at that. We know that God never changes, but how you perceive him can change quite a bit and can go up and down, stronger, weaker, those kind of things. And it affects the way we serve him. An- another thing that... Um, uh, that I think is important in this whole process is to, to ask yourself how you see forgiveness itself. How do you see, what do you think forgiveness is? Where do you think it comes from? And obviously, we're reaching all the way to Jesus for this. And then what does that look like in your life? So go with me to Genesis chapter 12. <clears throat> and I, 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 I used this set of scripture about six or seven months ago. Um, but from a very different angle. I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to focus in on this today having to do with forgiveness. And I'll, I'll, you'll understand as we get to the end, not necessarily at the beginning of this. But Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. He, di- he didn't tell him where he was going. He said, I'll let you know when you get there. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. That's, that's a great promise. Then he says, I will bless those who bless you. But first, first you're talking about uh, Abram. Now he's talking about how Abram's going to interact with other people, other people groups. I will bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Now we see where this moment in Scripture is probably the, the, the best, strongest example of faith that we see in Scripture. And we even see in Hebrews where where the, the writer unpacks this, the Holy Spirit explains that, and he spends more time on Abraham than anybody else in the New Testament talking about faith. Abraham, this moment in, in Scripture is, is probably, I think it is the greatest faith moment there in Scripture, that Abraham, God said, Abraham, I want you to take off, pack everything up. There's dozens and dozens of people, potentially a hundred-something people, um, thousands of animals, tents, carts, all kinds of stuff. And he said, Abraham, go, just head a direction, and when you get to where, to go that way. When you get where uh, I'm telling you to go, uh, I'll let you know. And God says, man, that was faith. I asked him to do it, and he did it. That's faith. That is faith at the highest level to do all that kind of stuff. And so he gets a lot of, of, of credit for this, and we see where, where he was following. In fact, the, the next few sentences after this talk about how he's walking, he's pro- continuing to progress uh, through the Negev, and, and then we go down to verse 10, and something happens, and I, I think, if, if you're following me with this, I think you'll see the same things. We get down to verse 10, and he says, At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. Th- that sentence, I believe, is, is vitally important. It's a pivotal sentence. The way, the way I look at this 
is it's, it's a sentence that takes you into the next step of what's about to happen. And this sentence basically, I think, sets up why what comes to follow uh, follows. Now, this is, this is some of the ways that when the Old Testament is written, it doesn't always say uh, this is what was going on in Abram's heart. This is what was going on in Sarah's heart. This is what, it just says this is what they did, and we, and we understand God and understand people more through just watching their actions after different events happen. So God has promised Abram, you're going to be an amazing uh, um, man of uh, following me. You're going to be the, the father of mighty nation, all this other stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of you. I'm going to bless you when people bless you. I'm going to curse them when they curse you. I've got you. Just follow me. When you get there, I'll let you know where it is. And Abram says, okay, I'm going to do that. Then we see where this famine happens in Canaan, and it says that because of the famine, Abram moves into Egypt. I believe that that moment defined for Abram, I believe it defined for him God wasn't taking care of him like he promised he would. Okay? And I think the next few sentences that happened show us that's what was going on. Because here, here's my question. Why would Abram be such a man of faith and do everything God had said? And this is months and months and months of time frame where he's following God, doing all this kind of stuff. Then the famine happened, he moons into Egypt, and all of a sudden we see a completely different Abram. Completely different. He makes some of the worst decisions a human can make, and he makes the, the, the worst decisions he personally makes in the entire Bible. Okay? Look at the next few sentences. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abraham said to his wife, Sarah, Look, you're a very beautiful woman. If he would have just stopped there, next chapter. It would have been okay. It would have been great. We would have said, man, that, that Abraham, he knew, uh, he knew how to talk to his wife. But he was not saying that from the point of view, Linda, you're a very beautiful woman. Okay, so... <clears throat> He wasn't, the, the, the next sentence, he's, he's saying an amazing, wonderful statement to his wife because of what he's about to say next. You can tell it wasn't right in his head what he was saying. He says, you're a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him and we can have her. So when he was saying, you're a very beautiful woman, it wasn't about her. It was about him. He was saying, you're so beautiful, they might try to kill me. We can't have that. So please tell them you're my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. You know what that's called? Prostitution. They're going to take you. And I'm going to get a lot of stuff for it. Could you just tell them you're my sister? This is, this is horrible that Abram's doing this. This is not being a man. This is being a wimp. And he's scared to death. Now, here's my question. Just before this, God's, well, it was months before, but we had seen where Abram's following this. He's walking in this. He says, God says to Abram, I'm going to take care of you no matter what. I'm going to take care of you. Follow me. Go this place. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who I'm going to take care of you. And Abram jumps out and does that. And then all of a sudden he gets to Egypt and he, and he throws all of that away. God's no longer in charge. See, when he says, tell him you're my sister, 
That is, in essence, saying God's not big enough to take care of you and me, so we're just going to take care of me. God's not, God can't handle this anymore. I know he's been blessing us and our crops and everything in this, in this month of, of moving and doing all these kinds of things. God has taken care of us. He's provided. He's done all this kind of stuff. Now, this is why I think verse 10 is so key, because I think the famine in Canaan that made Abram derail what Abram saw as derailing. He, I don't know that it was a derail, but what Abram saw as a derail and had to move into Egypt under an ungodly king, Pharaoh, and all this other kind of thing, that, that at some point, Abram, I, I believe, Abram got that into his heart and his spirit, and he was now mad at God, disappointed in God, or something like that. Because why would he believe God could take care of him? And we also see where there's, there's battles and all this other, God took care of Abram completely. Now, all of a sudden, he doesn't believe God can take care of him going into Egypt. Why, why didn't he just walk in? Why didn't he say, you're a very beautiful woman, so when we get to Egypt, I'm going to make sure everybody knows you're my wife. Wouldn't that have been a better plan, ladies? Exactly. But he doesn't. He's scared to death. Somewhere, his confidence in God, his relationship with God had, had dealt a blow. And I, and I believe it was the, the famine. Somehow he's saying, God, you can't take care of me anymore. The, the famine, why, why aren't you bigger than a famine? Now, interestingly, this, and, I, and I've been here, I know what this feels like when you're upset at God because he's not taking care of you, he's not taking care of you. But, but here would be my argument with that. You're still alive and eating. I, 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 I thought about this, this was years ago. The, the heaviest I had ever been, Weight-wise, Lynn and I were going through a difficult time frame, uh, not her and I, but financially as a couple. And, uh, and I was upset at God. God, you're not taking care of me. You're not providing me. I'm a pastor. Don't I get bonus points or something? You're not taking care of me. And then I looked in the mirror and I realized apparently I've been taking care of me. And I could stand to lose a few meals and some other things. You know, it's interesting how we can build this idea of what God should be doing and how he should be doing it, all this other stuff. And, and, and God's doing it. God's actually doing it. But we're limiting to a moment in, space, a time, in, a moment in time and saying, well, that's going to define everything of who God is. And I think this is what Abraham's doing here. That the, the famine forced him into Egypt. And he's like, okay, God, you can't take care of me anymore. So I'm not even going to tell people that she's my wife because they're just going to kill me because you can't protect me. At, at some point, we have to understand that what he's saying is in direct relationship to his relationship with God. And so he says, tell him you're my sister. Ah, this is horrible. And sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone spoke of Sarah's beauty. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king, and Sarah was taken into his palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her, sheep, goats, cattle, male, female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. Again, this is called prostitution. He is prostituting his wife out so that he can be protected and so he can get all this stuff. And here's the question. We're going to see where this gets fixed here pretty soon. It doesn't ever say that Abram gave all this stuff back. That's not okay. This whole thing is messed up. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. The Lord did this because of Sarah. It doesn't say because of Abram. It says because of Sarah. God is sticking up for Abram's wife. Abram's not sticking up for his wife. 
God is sticking up for his wife. And he sends all these plagues against Pharaoh, and Pharaoh gets really upset. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Now, I, I would like if Abram to answer that question. I would like to have stood there and say, yeah, Abram, why didn't you? Why? Tell these guys. Well, I thought you were going to kill me. Why did you say she's my sister and allowed me to take her as my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. Pharaoh has more fear of God than Abram does. Do you see that? Pharaoh is sticking up for Abram's wife more than Abram is. God is sticking up for Abram's wife more than Abram is. I did a whole series about this years ago because God used this particular part of Scripture to convict me of some of the ways that I, I talked to Linda and some things like that. And, uh, and, I, and the, the way I've said this at different sermons and different times is, God really likes, and this is for the men, but it works both ways, okay? God really likes your wife, well, not probably, more than you like your wife. God doesn't like you when you treat them bad. God really gets irritated when you treat your wife bad. And why is the same thing goes for your husband? This is gender neutral. This is the kind of church we are. So, <clears throat> okay, so, so Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them, and he sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and his possessions. Now, here's where we're going we're gonna to focus in on the forgiveness part of this. There's a lot of things going on here that I think are very important. The, the, the first thing is all the different people that have to forgive each other in this. And this is pretty interesting. Here's the, the, the last little sentence says that Abram and her went out of the country with all their possessions. Here, here's the question. Did, did this ever come up in conversation? They're sitting around the dinner table and eating some heroes. Shave lamb. Okay, so you guys are got to stay with me this morning. They're sitting around the dinner table and you think Sarah ever said, why'd you do that? I don't know. I mean, we don't know. I'm just using this to try to get us to think. Do you think Abram ever asked for forgiveness to, for her, from her on this? Honey, I probably shouldn't have sold you into prostitution. That was on me. Right? Did, did this ever come up again? Did Sarah forgive him? Did Abram forgive himself? This is... This, when, when it comes to really f having a mentality of forgiveness, this is the kind of thing where forgiveness is a mindset. It's a worldview. It's not a moment in time. It's, a, it's how you think. It's not what you do. This is, this is part of the reason why, as human beings, we struggle with forgiving other people. Because we think it's, a, it's about a moment rather than being about a, a, a worldview. I believe that Jesus is the forgiver. I believe there is such a thing as grace. I believe I'm for, supposed to embrace forgiveness, forgive others. That's a, that's a worldview. That's a, that includes everything about us. The reason that, 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 that the church sometimes struggles with these kind of things is because we've, as the church, we've limited to forgiveness being about a sin rather than a, a mentality, a life, who I am. Am I a, am I a person that walks in grace? Do I let Jesus forgive me or do I not? Do I walk in what forgiveness means? Do I understand what forgiveness means? For me, 
and from me to others. So, so this, the first part of this is kind of, a, I'm going I'm to go back over some of the mentality that I talked about last week. The first part of this is forgive yourself. You've got to learn to forgive yourself. The, 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 one, of the, one of the things that I, I mentioned this last week just in passing, but one of the big things I believe in embracing forgiveness from the Lord to you is embracing forgiveness from you to you. Forgive you before you can let Jesus forgive you. I believe that Jesus has forgiven a lot of people that have asked for it, but they haven't forgiven themselves, and that's, there's a conflict, there's a tension between them and the Lord on this because they haven't forgiven themselves. And they keep holding this, this guilt or this condemnation out there in front of themselves as, as I can't ever move past this. Here's one of the ways. I've, t- I've talked to so many people over the, over the years about this. I, I do this with different subjects, but this is one of the bigger ones where I've had a lot of conversations. How does unforgiveness come into people's minds? How do they process that? I've asked a lot of questions about that. And here's one of the kind of the basic things that people will say, that, that they can't move on and they haven't forgiven themselves is they'll think of something that happened 10 years ago, and it still gets them. It still gives them angst. And it's like they, they have to vet that out right there in their mind or their spirit. That's almost a guarantee you haven't moved past it. If, if something that pops up in your mind from years ago, good or bad, and, you, and it's just a memory, and you move on, that's different than you start having a conversation with yourself about this. Or you start processing, or you start interacting about this particular subject. The reason that you're doing that is because you haven't moved on somewhere inside your spirit. There's some, there's, some, um, there's some residual there. And I'm not talking of the issue. They can always be memories and residual of the issue. I'm saying how you're dealing with it spiritually. Whether you've moved on, whether you've forgiven yourself, forgiven somebody else, or these kind of things. Have you moved on? You've got to learn to forgive yourself. You, that will hinder what Jesus is trying to do. And here's another question, because I've asked myself this at different times. Why do I think this is so unforgivable? Why do I think Jesus won't forgive me for this? Why can't I forgive myself? You start asking yourself questions like that, and, and, it, and it gets, it gets um, challenging pretty quickly, because you have to dig down into some stuff. Why does this seem to bother me so bad? Here's something. Specifically, if you're married... This works. If you've got a really good friend, this works. If you've married a long time, this works actually better because your spouse knows you much better. But ask your spouse, why do you think I struggle with this? There's a good chance they're just going to run away. <laughs> uh, but, but if you've developed c- communication, you've developed a healthy relationship being able to say this stuff, ask them and hope that they'll be honest with you about this. Why do you think this bothers me so much? Because they know. They know They know way more about you than you will ever admit about yourself. They know stuff. Ask them, why why do you think I get so angry about this? Or I get so hurt about this? Or I feel so guilty? Ask them. They'll tell you. Maybe. I don't know. I hope they would. And here's the thing. When they tell you, listen to them. Listen. Because that's that's how you can move into the next step easier and say, okay, God, then I need to deal with this and this. My wife says, I need to deal with this. I, I've had that conversation with God before. Well, Linda said this. You and I both know she's wrong, God. But for the sake of me being open-minded, I'm going to pray about this. Right? And it's amazing what God can actually do. Hey, you're not supposed to make noises. <laughs> 
Forgive yourself, Luke 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. We, you know, we, we know this. He's quoting out of Isaiah here. We know everything that Jesus says here is right on. It's very descriptive of who he is. But it's interesting how some of this, we, we would struggle to um, uh, extrapolate into ourselves. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released. Do we believe we're a captive or not? Do we believe we've ever been? That the blind will see. Do I believe I've ever been blind? This is physical too. I believe that he also is saying that he will physically heal sight, physical sight. But I believe it's spiritual too. That the oppressed will be set free. That the time of the Lord's favor has come. Do, do we believe this? Do we believe that the Lord can do that with me? That he can do that through me? That he wants to do that in, in my mind and my spirit? That he wants to set me free? That he wants me to, to not be blinded anymore to my own issues. Okay? The second thing here, first we need to forgive ourselves. The second thing is we need to forgive God. Now this is an interesting um, statement because when I say this, it, uh, there's a part of us that immediately rejects this. What do you mean forgive God? He, God's never done anything wrong. That's, that's correct. God's never done anything wrong, but that doesn't mean that you don't need to forgive him. See, here's the interesting thing about forgiveness. I can say this all day long about other people, and we'll try to embrace it, we'll try to get it, but it's interesting how this doesn't connect naturally in our head for God. Forgiveness, if I forgive somebody else, it has nothing to do with them. It has to do totally with me. Forgiveness is between me and God. Well, they did this, that's right, and to forgive them, you've got to make it between you and God, not you and them. As long as it always stays between you and them, you'll never forgive them. You've got to let them go and let forgiveness be something that God does in you. But see, we, we always think about retribution or reconciliation, and then the part of the reason we can struggle with forgiveness is because we also think about revenge. And well, they need, they okay, but as long as that's part of your thinking, you'll never forgive them. When you can just turn them loose to God and say, God, they're yours, I'm done, I forgive then you can begin the road of forgiving other people. Now think about this with God. If forgiveness for you to another human has nothing to do with them, the forgiveness between you and God has nothing to do with God. God has never done anything you need to forgive him for. But there are things in your mind that you perceive God to have done or, or the way you've uh, um, played it out in your life, that for you, you have to forgive him because just because he's never done anything to you doesn't mean you don't have issues sometimes with God. And I believe this is what's going on with Abram right here is the reason he sells his wife out to Pharaoh is because he's irritated at God because of the famine. Now, I might be wrong about that, but we, we can't argue with the fact that he turns from this great man of faith to saying, I don't think God can take care of us. Here, honey, go to the Pharaoh. He, you're his now. Sorry. I got some nice cows out of it, though, but you're his. Now, what? something had to have happened, and I believe that what happened is that uh, um, Abram got upset in his spirit at God. And then that began to erode the way that he looked at God. God cannot take care of us anymore. He can't do all this other stuff, so he does some things. You not forgiving God can hinder a lot of what God is trying to do in your life. I'll give you one easy one that we, that we, we know it. Every one of us in here know it intuitively. Is 
it's difficult for us to pray that God really bless us when we're upset at him for something else. It's very difficult for us to ask God to do something, even something simple like forgive us, when we're upset at God about something else. When we feel like that he has taken us through famine, when he's taken us through the difficult times. And, and if you've been a Christian for any length of time, now, if you're a brand new Christian, I'm saying like six months Christian or something like that, you may have never experienced a moment where you think God did you wrong. But if you've been a Christian for a while, every, every person will experience times when they think God has done them wrong. So here's, here's some basic things. Here's what I think about um, being upset at God. First, tell God. And, and I, by the way, I don't think it's wrong to be upset at God. Um, for for, for um, growing up, the idea that you would get mad at God or say something, or that was like a taboo. You weren't allowed to do that. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think God's big enough to handle you being upset at him. But think about what I just said. He created the heavens and the earth. He creates 7 billion people. And you're going, God, I'm upset at you. He's like, okay, you and me, we're having it out. You really think that's what, think how many 7 billions of people times he has to do that with. God's not, God doesn't lose sleep ever because he doesn't sleep. But God doesn't lose sleep over us being upset at him. But here's the thing. Talk to God about it. Don't complain to people about it. That's, by the way, that applies to many things in our life. Talk to God about it. Don't complain about God to other people. Because then you're, you're not being that witness. You're not walking in relationship with him. That's where it can begin to, to hinder your spiritual walk with him. Going to God and saying, God, I'm upset at you. I don't believe it has hindered your spiritual walk yet for the most part. Maybe little things along the way. But when you begin to be upset at God to other people, that can begin to hinder it. Because now you're being a negative witness. You're being the opposite I don't think there's anything wrong with saying to somebody, you know, I really understand that about God. Or I was really upset at God. But I think you need to throw a caveat in there. But I know God hasn't done anything, so I'm working through it. Now, here's the thing with, with going to God on this. Six months later, a year later, ten years later, you'll look back on the moment and realize that God didn't do anything, you're wrong, whatever the case is. You need to know going in, going in that that's the case, okay? God hasn't done anything wrong, and you will figure that out. But there's nothing wrong with saying right now, God, I'm pretty upset at you. Talk to him about it. He's big enough to handle it. I remember my, I would let my kids do that. Now, the way I have to be careful when I say that, because nowadays we let our kids say mean things and yell and all that. I did not let my kids do that. They had to be respectful, but if they were upset, they could come tell me, maybe. Right? But and I would listen. I, I think that this, you sh Dad, you should have done this, or you should have said this, or whatever the case is. Okay. Sometimes I was like, mm, you're, you're completely wrong. Go, go away. But I'm not even near what God is. God can handle you saying I'm upset at you. So go to him with this. This is, this is, this is in um, Job, and this is interesting because this is the sixth chapter of Job. This is the first time it appears, this is the first time that Job actually says some negative things about God. In fact, I believe it's like the end of the chapter 5 right before this that God said, and Job never said anything negative about God. God says that, right? And uh, so finally it gets to the point where Job says something that's negative about God. But it's interesting because he does do this through the, through the book of Job. But usually when he's saying something negative about God, if you really read it in context, what he's doing is he's, he's retorting back to his three religious friends that were shredding him and his relationship with God. 
It's amazing how religious friends can do that for you, right? They're supposed to be support. They're supposed to be there for you. And all they're doing is causing you angst. Attacking, attacking. And this is what these guys are doing. So Job is actually lashing out at them oftentimes while it it seems to be couched in in lashing out at God. But this is actually a time when Job is upset. Verse 1 of Job 6, Then Job spoke again, If my misery could be weighed and my troubles be put on the scales, they would outweigh all the sands of the sea. That is a great statement. That should be a country song. (laughs) Think about that's a solid, That's a solid statement. The only statement that I can think off the top of my head that even comes close to this, um, I heard when I was a kid on um, Hee Haw. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You you know this song? Some of your your younger ones are like, what's Hee Haw? (laughs) Hee Haw was extremely, it was um, educational TV. (laughs) Let's read this again. If my misery could be weighed and my troubles put on the scales, they could outweigh all the sands of the sea. Wow. That's why I spoke impulsively, for the Almighty has struck me down with arrows. Has he? No. God didn't strike him down with arrows. But from Job's perception, does it look that way? Yes. By the way, here's something that's interesting. This might help you sometimes when you get upset with God. This is, this is a revelation I had years ago. I, I don't usually have it in the middle of being upset at God, but I do remember it. I try to remember it. The reason that Job gets upset at God and accuses God of shooting him down with arrows is because in Job's worldview, we know he was the godliest man that was alive. He loved God with everything about him. He was obedient. He did all that. In in Job's worldview and understanding of God, God was the author of everything. So if anything bad happened, it had to have come from God. He didn't have a context like we do reading the book of Job. He didn't have a context that God would give Satan permission to mess with you. Job didn't have that context. So if bad things are happening, it must come from God. So God, why are you attacking me? Job at least has a little bit of argument as to why he would think this. We don't have as much argument today, although we still do it. God, why are you attacking me? For the Almighty has struck me down with his arrows. Their poison infects my spirit. God's terrors. What are are God's terrors? God doesn't have terrors. But in Job's head, in Job's heart, this is what's going on. God's terrors are lined up against me. Don't I have the right to complain? And here's a great sentence. Don't wild donkeys bray when they find no grass and oxen bellow when they have no food? I want to go back to Job and say, Job, you're not really, this is not a good example. If oxen and donkeys can complain, can't I? That really is your argument, Job? That's the best you got? Can you argue some other way? But he's upset at God. And it appears, at least from my perception, it appears that he's right. Not that he's right about what he's saying about God, but because he doesn't know everything that's going on that I as the reader know, it does appear he's justified in complaining about some of this. Because he, he is laying stuff at God's feet that he doesn't know any other reason why it's happening. Now here's the, the, the cool thing with us. I think sometimes we're actually in that category. Things are happening, we don't know why, and we go to God and we're upset at God. I, I, that, to me, that kind of makes sense. That's at some level, this is so backwards thinking. At some level, that's almost proof that you have faith in God. 
Are you following me? God, if bad things are happening, you're in charge of everything, then you must be doing this. God's like, oh, they know I'm in charge of everything. You know, that's where he's at with it. So third thing here is we've got to trust God. If you forgive yourself and then you forgive God, now you have the opportunity to say, okay, then I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to do the best I can to trust you. I'm going to, I'm going to, this is, this is like the next step. And I believe also that if, if you, if you really did this properly, there would be four things. Number one would be trust, then forgive yourself, then forgive God. And then number four would be trust again, because that's the beginning and end of everything. The reason that you would begin to forgive yourself is because you trust God. The reason that you forgive God is because you trust God. And the reason you trust God is because you trust God. It's all in. God, this is about you. I am trusting that you are big enough, that the blood of Jesus is big enough. Again, I say this every now and then, and I, 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 have, to, I have to preface it with this. I, I don't need you to explain the blood of Jesus or any of that kind of stuff after I say this statement. But I do not understand how Jesus dying 2,000 years ago forgives me now. I know it's a spiritual thing, but there was physical blood running down his body. And that's the blood that they're talking about, that Jesus and all of the, the apostles and everybody are talking about that forgives me now. And that's a, that's a huge step for me. But I do believe it. I embrace it in faith. I don't understand how it happens. I don't understand how his blood then forgives me now. I'm, I know all this stuff. Okay, I've read everything on the planet about this. You don't have to explain it to me. But it's a faith thing for me. It's totally a faith. Some people get, maybe get it more cognitively. I don't. It's totally a faith thing for me. Jesus, your blood forgives me. And I'm just going to embrace that. I'm just going to embrace that. I'm going to trust you that that plan, that really makes no sense, is the way that you forgive me. Okay? Um, after service last week, Barry and I were talking, we were talking about the covenant and the, and the altar and the the animal sacrifices and all the stuff, and, and this is why, and it had to be Jesus because of his sin. I mean, I get all that. We, we, he and I discussed a lot. We, I get all that. But does that mean it makes sense? No. If you didn't grow up in this thing, that sounds cultish. It doesn't even sound cultish. That's, that is cultish. Unless you get it by faith. Right? Okay, I'm, I feel like I'm digging a hole there. So, John 12, verse 44, Jesus shouted to the crowds, If you trust me, you're not trusting only me, but also God who sent me. And the fact that he's God too. But when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world, so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. And that's where the trust factor is. Do I believe that I'm in darkness and I need that darkness illuminated by the light of Jesus? If so, I embrace that by faith and I say, okay, Jesus, you're the one that does it. You're the one that does that. You bring light, so I trust you to light my world. You bring light, so I trust you to light my mind, light my spirit, light my relationships, because you're the light of the world. I can't light any of those things, but you can. That's where trust comes in. So this is where it comes back around is, Jesus, if you chase out the darkness and you bring light, then that means I'm forgiven. Forgive me. 
and I'm going to embrace it. I've, I've had this conversation with many people over the years in witnessing and talking. If you go through the Romans road of salvation, which, which I don't use, but, but it is in my head as I'm going through this, the, the, one of the things that I've asked people many times is I'll pray for them to accept Jesus as their Savior, and, and then I'll ask them, do you feel forgiven? And oftentimes they'll say, well, I don't really feel anything. Well, let's pray again. I've done that. I've done that in, in coffee shops and airplanes. And Let's play, pray again. Why? Because here's something that the church has kind of left by the wayside some. But in, in, in um, uh, Romans chapter 10, it says that whoever believes in Jesus will be saved. So did you, or calls on the name of the Lord is the way it says it. Um, so did you call on the name of Jesus? Do you believe Jesus is your Savior? Yes. Then there should be an inward witness too. Inside you, something should be going on. The Spirit of, the, uh, of God himself just entered into your existence. You should, know, you should feel something. You should know something. And, and I, I've had that argued back and forth. What, does it matter if somebody feels anything? Well, for my limited little pastor thinking, I'm going to keep praying until they do. Well, they don't have to. Well, let's try. Let's just run that up the flagpole and see. There should be an inward witness too. Lord, you've forgiven me, and I want that. I need that. I want to feel that. I want to know that, that something's different about me. Why don't you stand with me? So here's my mindset. This is the way, this is the way I, I'm praying about this, the way I'd like us to pray about this. Here's my mindset. God loves me. Can you say that about yourself? Can you say that honestly? God loves me. Do I know that that's true? And I mean and believe it. God wants to forgive me. Can you say that about yourself? Do you, do, you, do you believe that? God wants a relationship with me. Can you say that about yourself? I know this to be true. I know this to be true. This, this is one of the reasons that we memorize Scripture and quote it over and over and over in our minds. The, the Word of God have I hid in my heart, locked up in my spirit. I lock God's Word in my spirit. Why? I mean, how? That's memorization. That's getting it in there. But the why? Because then when we need it, it comes out. When we're tempted with sin, God's Word comes out. Truth comes out. God is for me. God really is for me. We talked about that a lot Wednesday night. God has a plan for me. Do you believe that? God is for me. He loves me. He wants to forgive me. He wants to forgive me right now. He's not holding anything against me. He just wants me to ask him, and he'll just wash me clean. He'll just wash me clean. All right, bow your heads with me. Lord, we, we surrender and submit ourselves to you. We submit this moment right now, Lord, that I believe that you're that you're bigger than just a, a, a moment in time. You're bigger than a sin that we've done. You're bigger than, than something like that. Jesus, that you're the forgiver. That you're the all-consuming redeemer. Jesus, I believe that you're trying. You're doing everything you can to forgive us. You've sent Jesus. You've done everything you can to forgive us. And Lord, we're the ones who struggle Lord, help us to, to believe in forgiveness. Help us to believe that we're forgiven. Help us to believe that, that you're not trying to catch us doing something wrong. Lord, help us to embrace your grace and your mercy. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for, for me just a little bit here. And I want to ask you this question. And then we're just going to pray about this. This is 
This is a lot more personal. Yet last week we had everybody come up front and prayed about this kind of concept. But I really want you to think about this, internalize it as, as, as we pray, and then I'll say something. You know. But to say, I, I really do struggle with this forgiveness thing. I struggle with being forgiven. I do. If, that, if that's you, I'm not going to ask you to come down front. We're just going to pray as a group this week. But you say, I, I'm struggling with this. I'm really struggling with forgiveness. I'd like you to raise your hand real quick and, and just keep it up for a minute. And again, this is as much for you as it is for me to see is not as important. Say, I really do struggle with forgiveness. I, I struggle with forgiving me, forgiving God, or forgiving, just being forgiven. Yeah. I, it's, it's always um, encouraging, a little surprising, but it's always encouraging how many people really do struggle with this. For years, I thought it was just me. But we do. We struggle. We struggle. God, you see the hands. Lord, you know our hearts. And I believe, Jesus, even the fact they raised their hands is a sign of faith and a sign of, of relationship and desire to be with you. Desire to know you very closely, Lord God. God, this is a, this is a stumbling block. It's a wall that they gotta, like they have to climb over. God, for, just forgive us, but help us to know it. Help us to believe it. Lord, I, I pray against anything right now that's hindering anybody in this room from, from knowing that they're forgiven, not being forgiven. Lord, I believe you've forgiven. I believe you've forgiven us way before we allow it to happen sometimes. So, Lord, help this get into our spirit, deep into our heart. We're forgiven. In the name of Jesus, by the blood of the Lamb, we're forgiven forgiven. Lord, help us to know it. In Jesus' name. <clears throat> now let me give you a little bit of um, an exercise to try. Um, I don't know how you would do this, but this would be like an idea of this. Maybe maybe write it down on a piece of paper or maybe put a reminder in your phone or something with a scripture that, that reminds you that you're forgiven, that reminds you of what the blood of Jesus can do for you. How, whatever scripture you think applies for you there. And then let that come up like every day at a certain time. And when that pops up, pray about that. God, I know I'm forgiven. Your word says it. Romans 8, I think verse 10 says, Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. I'm forgiven. I belong to the Lord. And then just think about that and read it over and pray it and pray it and pray it. And you'll be surprised at how quickly that word gets down into your spirit and begins to do some things. Okay? So build something for yourself, whatever works there, that, uh, that you can do that. All right? So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you a chance to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Let somebody know Jesus wants to forgive them too. Wash them. Love them. Those kind of things. And God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are that they are here this morning. And uh, we will see you tonight if you let me know. I mean, I, I don't mind you showing up too. But Or we will see you Wednesday night. We're starting the book. Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.
shines for all to 